Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It's good being back here, isn't it? It's, there's something so special about just being in the presence of the Lord, just allowing Him to minister to us. One of the things that I love about the, the Freedom Weekend, liberty, Freedom Encounter, Liberty, whatever kind of, it's always confusing when you change things, names, especially if you've been doing it with the old name for 20-odd years. Um, there's something just so beautiful about sitting in the Lord's presence and, and liberty over all of the years, what we've learned. And this weekend, I realized, I think it's the first time in probably over a hundred freedom encounters, liberty weekend type of moments that I've been involved in with church as I've been in one or two different congregations and always been involved. And this is the first one I think that I've missed that I can remember since I started as a first year student helping out at freedom encounters. But it's so great just to know that God is continuing to move, that ministry doesn't depend on an individual. Ministry depends on the Spirit of the living God. And in Liberty Freedom Weekend, when we just take time to come and sit at the cross, He changes things. He touches hearts. He delivers. He speaks. And I almost want to ask perhaps if I think every one of us, as we were just in the Lord, as we are in the Lord's presence, but a little bit earlier as we were just in that place of worship, just God, you are good. We love your presence. Perhaps there was someone that we were thinking of who we know they should be here too. They're going through some stuff and they need to have what I've been given. They need to encounter Christ the way that I've encountered Christ. Maybe they're going through a rough time. Maybe they've just got questions. Maybe they're confused. Maybe they're far from God, never met Him. Maybe they're really close, but just there's just a disconnect between them and God at the moment. Could we maybe take a, a few moments, just turn to one another and just pray for those people? Just invite them in the spirit into the space, just to help let them know that they are welcome in the house of the Lord. Just perhaps look over your shoulder and find if there's find someone you can pray with. And if there isn't someone specific, just pray in general for a friend or a family member. If there's someone specific that's just on your heart, that God, I so wish they could have been here. Let's take a moment and just bring them before Christ and ask that God would move in their lives. Father, we're thankful that this evening we get to experience something of your presence, Lord. Just a small glimpse of eternity. That perfect peace, Lord. We thank you that your word promises us that we should be anxious for nothing, Lord but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make our requests known to you. Your peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that we can step into that place of experiencing something of your peace. And as we do that this evening, Lord, we invite our friends, Lord. We invite our family, we invite our colleagues, we invite our classmates, and we pray, Jesus, would you work in their life in the way that you've been working in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, breathe upon them, Lord. Breathe truth upon them. Breathe healing upon them, Lord. Breathe salvation upon them, Lord. God, we bring their need before you, and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you do what you do, Lord. Would you come and bring order and chaos, Lord? Would you bring redemption, Lord? Would you bring healing? Would you bring wholeness to them in Jesus' name? God, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and breathe on your word in our midst this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much just in these last couple of weeks for everyone who sent messages and words of encouragement and 
just a little phone call here and there. Really do appreciate it. Um, I think Scripture says something about counting it all joy when you fall into various trials. And um, just it's amazing how people can lift one another up and encourage. And, you know, I was saying this morning, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to say, but there was a long time in my life that, and probably still do, sort of in between on these two, where I was sort of on this thought that perhaps we get, not perhaps, we get one body for our lives, one body to live with, one body to take us to 70, 80, 90, wherever we may be. And we're going to look after this body. We've got to steward this temple. It's a holy place. Really do our, our utmost kind of that. When the end comes, we've really looked after our body well. I think that's a great way to approach the stewardship of our body. A while ago, someone mentioned an alternative view to me, and I'm intrigued by this of late. Maybe we get one body to live on this earth with. And we should use that body by the time we're finished. What's the point of having body left over? So I've still got my whole body left. My dad got a couple of fingers away by the time he was done. The surgeon managed to put my ankle back on properly. That perhaps was the most intimidating. Of so I had an operation Thursday night. As they, I was in a, for those who don't know, I was in a, a, a small disagreement with a motorcycle. And it, um, it did some not very nice things to my ankle. And so I had a uh, Thursday morning and a Thursday evening. I went in for an operation. Just quick putting this out there. If, a good, if someone you know is ever in an operation and the next morning they wake up and I got a bunch of these, how was the operation? My standard answer is, I don't know, I slept through the whole thing. <laughs> Later that day when I saw the doctor or whatever, just kind of, you really don't know what's happening when they're slicing you open and drilling screws into your body and kind of rebuilding stuff. But perhaps the most intimidating moment was I was lying in bed that finally managed to give me some painkillers, which really helped a lot. And then the orthopedic surgeon walks in and he's looking at these um, x-rays and frowning a little bit. And then he kind of, he walks up to the door, up to the bed and greets, he's really nice and everything. And then he says, um, I'm Dr. So-and-so and little, one or two pleasantries. And he says, well, the first thing we've got to do is you've got to get your ankle looking like an ankle again. <laughs> and then he kind of, he, my wife leaves because she saw what was coming. And then he's got to like, I don't know what he did. I was just staring up at the roof or whatever and felt things moving down there and beginning to look a little bit like an ankle again. So anyway, I don't know how I got onto that. Um, but thank you just for, for the messages, for the encouragement. Really is, is much appreciated. I want to carry on this evening on a, a message that Yaku spoke last week and a theme we've been on for this year so far. This year, for those who are visiting or those who are reasonably new, there's sort of two words that the Lord has really pressed on our heart for us to press into for this year, for this season, for the time we're in. And that is to step in, to step into His love and to step into His purpose. That as a church and as individuals, God is calling us to step into His love. That there's a place prepared for us. And we glimpsed that in our mo just a few moments ago. Just something about God's amazing, amazing love for us. But also that there's purpose, that we have been designed with a plan. We um, spent a bit of time on that passage in um, Hezekiah where he calls the king, where Hezekiah, the new king, calls the priest together and he says, my sons, do not be negligent now, and if I can just paraphrase a little bit, because God has chosen you for purpose. And we've been speaking a little bit around this idea of, of purpose. And this evening, I'm going to try and sort of take, so just kind of for you to stick with me, I'm going to take two concepts which seem a little bit separate and just bear with me for a moment. At the end, we'll try and link them together and weave them together because it's so important that as we study Scripture, we're always talking about application. It's so important that as we read the Word, we're always thinking and praying through, okay, God, how does this apply? What does this change? Every now and again, somebody asks me this deep theological question, and my standard answer before I even think about answering the question is, so what? If the answer to this question doesn't really change anything about the way I live my life tomorrow, 
then so on. Maybe it's a good question. But I'm not going to spend my time and energy trying to delve into something which doesn't change anything about anything. If it's a question that helps me understand the goodness and glory of God, if it's a question that helps me to know something, to glimpse something about the nature of God, those questions are amazing because they inform my life and my decisions. But these questions that are way up there that are kind of don't really have any practical application to our daily lives, those questions, they're not necessarily bad questions. They're just not the type of questions that I choose to keep myself busy with. And so this evening we're going to look at these, these two trains of thought and bring them together a little bit towards the end. The first one is this idea of purpose. I want us to think a little bit, it's different to the way that perhaps most of us think about purpose, perhaps read about purpose, the books that are written about purpose. Even Christian books sadly often are written about your purpose and my purpose, discovering your purpose. Walking in your purpose, embracing your purpose, which by themselves aren't necessarily bad questions as much as they're the wrong questions. So in theological speak, we have this idea called the Missio Dei. Do we have any Latin speakers around here? So the Missio Dei, it's not the hardest word to translate into English. Missio, kind of that's easy. Mission, Dei is God. So the Missio Dei is the mission of God. And in theology, we have this, if you're going to study academic theology, it's, this word will pop up regularly. I'm so thankful that it's coming back into Christian discourse more and more. It's becoming part of our language as it should be because the mission of God truly is central to every mission. So what is this mission of God? David Bosch writes in his book, he says, Mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people since God is a fountain of sending love. A couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was Haney was here, and he mentioned that God doesn't have a mission for His church. God has a church for His mission. That's a different way of phrasing what we see here. David Bosch says in his middle, he says, there is church because there is mission, not vice versa. What's vice versa? There is mission because there is church. No. Church exists around the mission of God. The mission of God, the, the missio day, is that God is and always has been ascending God. If you look at the, the Old Testament, we read that Moses was sent, Joshua was sent. There's this beautiful moment where Isaiah is in the throne room of God in this vision that he has. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And as he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he has this encounter with God. And then God says, who will go for us? Who will we send? And Isaiah is putting up his hand. Here I am. Send me. And as we read Scripture, we begin to understand that sending is part of the nature of God. It's a key attribute of God. God has always been a sending God. And so the Mishio Day is this idea that God is a sending God, that God initiates sending, that God sends for redemption. In John 3.16, we read that God so loved the world that He gave, that He sent His only Son. Galatians 4 verse 4 as well, same idea, but when the right time, when the appropriate time, depending on the translation you read, when the fullment of time had come, when the appointed time had come, God sent His Son. So the Mishio Day is this idea that the Father in its completion, God has always been sending and He's always been sending for the same reason we look at now, but it finds its sort of its ultimate expression in the Father sends the Son in the power of the Spirit. The Father sending, the Son going, the Spirit empowering. We see this Trinity, Trinitarian environment where the Trinity is sending. 
And so as we begin to speak about the Mishio Day, the, the mission of God, what is God up to in this world? As a, a church leader, one of the questions that I get regularly, and it's one of those questions that, that really vexes me. Part of me understands that we live in a world that is very consumer-orientated. We need new things all the time to keep us interested. We need new titles, new logos, new, you know, the next new thing. And so people often come and they ask, they say, what is our vision for this year? And a part of me understands that human need we have for that. And a part of me is frustrated by that because I think the vision of the church on the 7th of April in the year 734 AD and the mission of the church on the 21st of October in the year 1492 after Christ and the mission of the Christ uh, church yesterday the mission of God today and the mission of God tomorrow is the same mission. It's to redeem. It's to draw people back to Him. It's to make right what has been corrupted in our world. And so on the one hand, we should settle and embrace that and, and run with that. Tim Tennant, who's one of the top missiologists in the world today. A missiologist is somebody who studies mission. So they're a theologian, but their special areas, an area of mission. And just as an aside, some of us may have heard of the Asbury Revival recently. Some of you kind of follow a little bit of that story. He happens, just maybe by pure coincidence, I don't know. He just happens to be the president of that, um, that theological school. He defines it this way. He says the mission of God, the Mishio Day, is God's redemptive, historical initiative on behalf of His creation. It's God's redemptive. It has redemption at its very core. It's historical. It's always been there, and it's continuing today. It's God's initiative. We're going to live in a, a couple of weeks' time, still trying to figure out how we're going to get there with broken legs and all, but trusting God it's going to work. And, you know, as we go, and as we go to the inner city, or as we go to Malawi, or as we go to Nepal, or as we go to wherever else God would lead us to go, it's important for us to understand that it's not so much us initiating God as much as God has initiated. God is the one who is going. And we just get to tap in to what God is doing. When Jesus sent out the 70, and He sent out, first sent out the 12, then He sent out the 70 in Scripture, it says He sent them out two by two, into every town and village where he himself was about to go. See, there's this idea that, that God is the one who initiates. That we don't come up with an idea that we're going to go to somewhere. God has come up with an idea a long time ago that he wants to go somewhere to this world. So it's God's redemptive plan. And so understanding my mission, understanding our mission, starts with understanding God's mission. In the same way, embracing my mission, our mission as a church, starts with embracing God's mission. One of the things that perhaps tend to happen in our individualistic Western mindsets is we get this great idea. Maybe we feel the Spirit gives us this idea. We start going in this direction and then at some stage we remember, I'm a Christian, I'm meant to be praying about this. And then we stop and we pray and our prayer is, God, Holy Spirit, would you bless this which I am doing? I think that's probably not the right way to go about it. Perhaps a better idea is to stop, rewind that whole process and ask, God, God, what are you doing? Okay, God, how can I partner with what you are doing? God, how can I press into what you are doing. God, where is it where you are going because that's where I am going? Rather than, God, I'm going here and I hope you come with me. No, God, where are you going? God, where are you moving? God, where are you breathing because I want to tap into what you are doing, God, because it's the Mishio day, not the Mishio Philip that matters. It's the mission of God that matters, not the mission of me. Theology would speak about the Missio Day, which you've got now. Then the Missio Ecclesia, the mission of the church. See, the mission of the church should be the mission of God. The moment the mission of the church becomes anything other than the mission of God, we're missing the plot. 
The church exists because there is mission. The church exists to fulfill that redemptive mandate. God didn't bring the church together and then give the church a mission. God had a mission and He brought in to fulfill that mission, the church. A beautiful saying that says the church is the only organization that exists for non-members. The church primarily, yes, it's beautiful that we get to be here. It's beautiful that we get to encourage and love one another. We should continue doing that. But we should not lose, fact, lose sight of the matter that that is not the end goal of the church, a great place where we can just love one another. The end goal of the church is to declare the glory of God to a broken world, to invite others into that fellowship, to have that love for one another, which is the testimony that we are Jesus' disciples, but with an open heart and an open invitation, all the time saying that there are others who should experience this, which we, we're pursuing Christ with everything we have. We're experiencing His love, and as we go, we're inviting others together with that. So embracing our mission, embracing your mission, starts with embracing the mission of day. For me to truly discover my purpose, I have to start with what is God's purpose. Only once I tap into God's purpose can I discover my purpose. Having a desire to know my purpose is nothing wrong with that. But I say just now, I just think it's the wrong question. It's not the right starting point. The right starting point is what is God doing not is what must I do. Once I realize what God is doing, what is the project that God is at work with, that gives context to everything that God can and would say to me. So what is God doing? Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 is a great example of the current state of the Mishio day. We normally, when we talk about the Great Commission, we refer to this passage. The reality is that every Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with a Great Commission passage, passages of, of sending. Jesus came and He told His disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Ascending right there. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a divine instruction. That, that's a command from the King of heaven to His subjects. It is very much that. It's also an invitation from a loving God to join in His mission. You see, we can read this as this instruction that I must go because the King has spoken and probably wouldn't be completely wrong. We can also read that as, I can go because I've been invited to co-mission, to partnership in mission, to together mission. Commissioning is an instruction. A commission, just the word in English, obviously, is a, a commission, is a, an a instruction, it's a befell, a, an order that has been given. It's direction that's been imparted. You must do this. That's what the word commission means. But we can also just be a little bit kind of creative with language. I know it probably doesn't quite reflect in the original Greek, but the, I think the heart carries through. Co-mission. Working together. Being together on mission for the purposes of God. What is God doing? God is making disciples. Where is God's heart at? God's heart at is at disciples being made. I love what Gandhi shared earlier. So encouraging to hear that. You know, sometimes people think that we present Bible school on Tuesday nights because we've got nothing better to do with our time. Because it's just activity to, to keep us busy. And then you have moments like Gandhi coming up and saying, it's transforming my life. The Word of God. You know, a different word, I'm being discipled. Scripture gives us, and that this translation lets us down slightly, our, our more word-for-word -word translations. You guys are all clever English-speaking individuals, so you'll understand that um, in English and language, we, we use commas in a couple of different ways, two ways primarily within the English language, and we, we use commas. You guys all remember this from when you were in school and you did English. Uh, 
You know, I can use a comma, um, please go to spar, buy toilet paper, toothbrush. What else do we need from spar? A packet of chips and ice cream. Okay, whenever you go to spa, it has to end with an ice cream. Otherwise, the list isn't finished. Okay. We go and we, we buy, and, and there's a comma between all of them. We're listing things. We use commas for that. The other way in which we use commas is we use commas in a parenthetical sense. We use commas to add parentheses, to add information. In the same way that sometimes we use brackets. This, by the way, is a great tip when you're reading, especially in some of the more word-for-word -word translations when you're use, reading Paul's letters. It's a good idea to read those very long sentences of Paul with all of those commas. And for the first reading, just to skip everything between the commas. Because what does parenthesis mean? It means I'm adding information. I'm clarifying. I'm explaining something. I'm trying to think of a, a quick example. Go to the, please go to the fridge and fridge and get ice cream, the one in the blue box, and bring it to me. There'd be commas there but after ice cream and and. You can read that whole sentence. It would make complete sense if I just said, go to the fridge, whatever the sentence was, and get ice cream and bring it to me. The comma adds information, the one in the blue box. And so when we read Scripture, when you read kind of Paul's letters, that's a great way to read it. Read it the first time, skipping everything between the commas. It simplifies what is Paul actually saying. And then read between the commas. Okay, how is he explaining? How is he expanding on what he's saying? Does that make a little bit of sense? And so what we'll see here is Jesus says, he says, Go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he begins to use commas. This translation, as I said, lets us down just a little bit. The more word-for-word -word translations will get this right. Then he uses commas. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, this is from the New King James, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So he's using commas there. Not to say, he's not saying make disciples and baptize them and teach them. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is how you make disciples. Two primary things. You lead them to surrender to Christ, which is evidenced in baptism. And then you teach them what I've taught you. Teach them to obey the Word. So here's a great little litmus test to know, am I busy making disciples right now? Well, are people around me being led towards baptism? And are people around me, am I teaching them the Word? Am I teaching them to obey Christ? If the answer to that is yes, awesome, we're busy making disciples. If the answer to that is no, okay, God, I want to be a disciple maker. God, how can I start, Lord? Where is somebody? little quick tip, something that I've been thinking of just recently as we're thinking about kind of reaching out and ministering to people a little bit. I've been reminded because there are a couple of really great people in Scripture. They're all called Philip and one of them in, in Acts chapter 8, Philip go no, yeah, it is, I think it's Acts chapter 8. Was that the other Philip? I'm confusing myself now even here. It might be the other Philip. It might be later in that chapter as well. He goes and he, he's lying on his hammock. He's watching Super Rugby. It's a great lazy day, and the Holy Spirit says to him, go to the desert. He's like, what desert? No, no, seriously, go to the desert. Okay, fine, I'll Jesus has spoken, probably a good idea to listen. Gets up, goes out to the desert. There is nothing, <laughs> Scripture says, which is just a really great word. God sends you to nowhere, somewhere. And he goes, there is nothing, and he sees a guy riding on a chariot. And the guy happens to be reading Scripture from the book of Isaiah. And then he asks the guy, and he says, do you understand what you are reading? And the guy answers, no, I actually don't have a clue, paraphrase. And Philip hops on the chariot and he starts explaining to him the gospel. I really just sense in Pretoria, Pretoria is a little bit of a Bible Belt town. Little, might, you might have noticed this. The vast majority of people in Pretoria have some form of reverence for God. The, not everybody, obviously, but the vast majority of people are not going to be upset if you ask them something about the Bible. Or probably even the most people that we know We'll be very comfortable if we ask, can we read Scripture together? 
if there's some people in your workplace and say, hey, why don't we take 10 minutes once a week or lunchtime once a week or whatever, and we're going to get together and just start reading Scripture together. And then here's a good key. Did you understand what we read? Most likely, they're going to say no if they're not a real follower of Christ. And then we do what Philip did. From that Scripture, we preach Jesus at them in a loving I just think that there's a, a real open door for us in Pretoria. Just such a simple way. Just begin to invite people just to the Scriptures. One verse a day. One verse a week. A chapter a week. A chapter a day keeps the devil away or something like that. But just find some way to start reading Scripture then asking people, do they understand? I just sense that there's something in that that God's wanting to unlock, but that's perhaps for a little bit of a different day. So that's the, the one theme, sort of the one thread for, did you find that passage, Birgit? Okay, at the end of chapter 8, Philip goes and he hops on the chariot. The beginning of chapter 8, we're going to get to in a moment. And the one thread is this idea of God's mission, the Missio Dei. What is our mission as a church? Our mission as a church is simple, it's to fulfill the mission of God. What is my mission as a disciple? Perhaps it's simple, it's to fulfill the mission of God. Perhaps a, a first step is to say, God, I want to make your mission my mission. I want to make your purpose my purpose. I want to appropriate, not in a commanding sense, I, wanna, I want your mission to become my mission, not in the sense that I own it and I now get to decide what it looks like, but in the sense that, God, if it's your mission, it's my mission. I own it. I, I want to live for, for your mission, the Missio Dei. That's the one thread. Let's just pause that for a moment. Turn over page. We're going to get back there in a moment. Then I want to hop for, to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Yaku spoke about this last week, and if you missed it, I'd encourage you to listen to his message on the podcast. It just brought a, a good understanding of um, just some of the, the broader topics at play, some of the the examples in Old and New Testament foundations, etc., a lot like that. I want to zoom in just to a little bit to one facet here. Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 3 is one of those passages that has always intrigued me. Since uh, just as a young believer, as I've read this, I've always been a little bit intrigued by this passage. I call it here, it's like sort of Christianity 101. Let's read it and then I'll expand on that in a moment. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with a fundamental importance. Let me just quickly pause there. Some translations speak about the foundation. The assumption here from the writer to the Hebrews, he's writing to this Jewish community, is that we have laid these foundations. The assumption is we've been spending time talking about the basics of the faith. And so it's so important that in our lives we make sure that at some stage we have laid these foundations. Every half-decent church on the planet will have some new believers course. I encourage you, let, we call ours Life Encounter, a place where we begin to tackle some of these questions. The interesting thing, though, if we look about what they are, he says... Start again with the fundamental importance of firstly repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Repenting, we, we need to change, we need to be changed. That's what repentance is all about. Tim Keller, who passed away this weekend, he's a, just a, a great mind of the late 20th and early 21st century and prolific writer and a, a real light in the church for the, for the last 20 or 25 years. Um, great thinker. And he, he's got this quote, which I just so love. It says, if your God never disagrees with you, you are only serving an idealized version of yourself. In other words, if I'm never in a place where I'm wrestling with God about God says A and I'm thinking B, maybe all that's happened is I've taken my views my feelings, and I've elevated them to Godhead because I'm pretty sure we're all hopefully honest enough, humble enough to admit we're not God and we're not perfect. We don't think like God always thinks. 
So we need to repent. That's part of what repentance is. God, I'm going to change. God, I think this is better. And just as an aside, a, a little key that I've learned in our reading of Scripture, so many of us, me included, when we read Scripture, we go to certain passages and we highlight them because we love them. We agree with them. They make sense to us. They resonate with our heart. We love those passages. And then the other passages which we skip, we got a little bit like, call them our typex passages. We ignore them. We read as if they're not really there because they're uncomfortable for us. They're the parts that we don't agree with, that don't resonate with our hearts, that don't make us feel that, oh, I love this God. A little clue that I just dawned on me, sort of towards the start of last year or somewhere, is it's those passages that hold the key to me knowing Christ. The passages that I want to tipex out, those are exactly the ones that I must press into. If I'm only pressing into the passages where I agree with, I'm not really being transformed. It's the passages that freak me out, the passages that I don't like. It's the passages that are different to me. It's the passages that if I was the final editor of Scripture, I would have changed, I would have stated that maybe just slightly differently, Jesus. Holy Spirit, if you had consulted with me before finalizing the wording used by the author in Scripture, we probably had a better way of stating this. You know those passages we think about that kind of, we don't tell anyone we really think that, but we just think that. Those passages, when we press into them, that's where we discover Jesus. That's where we get transformed. That's where we get a glimpse of how He is different to us. Just a little side note there. But we need to repent from our evil deeds. We need to place our faith in God. I think any basic Christianity course, that would be in there. It's in our life encounter. It's in pretty much every church that we can think of, basic Christianity 101 course. You don't need further instruction about baptisms. Life encounter, second session, baptism, following Christ. What is baptism about? The laying on of hands. It seems a little bit out of place. The resurrection of the dead, the fact that Christ rose from the grave. That there is life after death. That's in life encounter. Session one. That there is eternity and eternal judgment, as this wording is. We will stand before the Father one day and we will receive judgment, Scripture says. All of those things would be basic, I think, to most of our understanding of the Christian faith. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding but this one right in the middle there just doesn't make sense, does it? Laying on of hands. It's almost like, why that one in the midst of everything else? And so kind of uh, I realized as I was going through it again, I don't think I've ever preached on the laying on of hands. We used to do sort of a, a module in Bible school specifically about the laying on of hands. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon apart from Yaku's message last week about the laying on of hands. don't know how many of you have. Maybe someone has mentioned it here or there, but it's, according to the author to the Hebrews, it's Christianity 101. It should be central to our very basic understanding of the faith. And so that's sort of the, the second strand that we're going to look at this evening, and then we'll bring that strand together with the mission of God together, and we're going to pray for some people and lay hands on some people this evening. You guys still awake? Great stuff, because I am. I've been lying in a bed for two weeks, and get to sit up straight and speak to some people so I can go all night again. I think Rory's only teeing off after eight, so we've got plenty of time. Okay. In Mark 5, 21, Jesus got into the boat again. Mark 5 is one of those chapters. Um, how many of you guys have watched The Chosen? Anyone watch Chosen Season 3? How are you guys doing? You're watching all these other things, not watching Chosen Season 3. Don't worry, I didn't get around it for a long time. Watch The Chosen 1, 2, and Season 3. It's just a, a, remember, it's not Scripture. Don't build your faith around any interpretation, but it really is just so wholesome. just gives us such a good view and understanding of what it perhaps could have been like in the time of Jesus. And the last episode of Season 3, um, I... Family actually watched it when I was lying in hospital, if I'm not mistaken, or the Sunday before. I can't remember when I was at church. They, they watched the, the last episode without me. Um, 
And then their response was all, it feels like they just jammed everything into one episode. There's too much stuff happening in this one episode. And then kind of, as I was reading through the scriptures again, I realized, perhaps, but it was just one of those days where there just was a whole bunch of stuff that happened. It's Mark chapter 5, among, in, in Mark and the other, um, the other gospels. It's, it's different chapters, obviously. But so Jesus has been preaching, and he gets into the boat again, and he goes back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathers around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come to our house and pray with her so she can live. Please come to our house and your presence will heal her so she can live. Please come to our house and give her something to eat and she will live. Now it's amazingly interesting the wording that is used here. Please come to her house and lay your hands on her. There's something that if we begin to read Scripture and we begin to see this phrase more and more and more, we're going to begin to pick up this. There's something that's happening in this moment. Jairus notices this. Jairus is like, whoa, there's something about the touch of Jesus that is different. John Piper says to us, or he, he summarizes kind of that, Jesus' most common practice in healing is touch. And so if you go and read the Scriptures and you see all of these things that Jesus do, more often than not, it's not just that He touches them. For example, the man with a, who, one of the guys who was blind at one stage, Jesus goes and He spits in the ground and He takes the dust and He makes some paste and He wipe, puts the paste on the guy's eyes. And then I read that again recently and I realized... Scripture is so explicit in what it tells us. He, he put it on his hands, put it on his eyes, and laid hands on him. There's something else that happened. He, he didn't just touch his eyes. He laid hands on him. The little children at one stage, there's a whole bunch of little kids that want to come to Jesus, and the parents, because parents are like that, and I guess they should be. They want to bring their little kids to Jesus because every parent wants the best for their kids. And the disciples are like, he's too busy. Don't bother him with the little kids. Take the kids. Kids should be out of sight. What, what? And Jesus is like, no, what are you talking about? Bring the kids. Don't forbid the little kids come. What does Jesus do? He takes them in his arms. He blesses them. Want to guess what he does? And he lays his hands on them. We're beginning to see something here that we're picking up. There's something that happens in a laying on of hands. So let's carry on. We're still in, in Mark chapter 5. This Jairus guy has just arrived. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. They're like, whoa, cool thing is about to happen. Let's go. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. I feel her pain. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. This morning, there were some doctors here, so we could make some fun of them. I don't... But do we have any doctors here this evening? Not okay. No, no legs to be pulled. But I did decide when I was lying in hospital between all of those nurses, because sometimes things take long. Like you know, sometimes you feel like your foot's about to explode, and you ask for some pain medication. It takes, I don't know, unnecessarily long to just go to the pain medication cupboard and get some pain medication. It's like they go and they first play four rounds of blackjack, and then oh yes, the guy. And maybe a game of settlers and like, oh yes, a guy's foot is busted off in four different places, wanted some pain meds they're taking. So I was lying there at one stage, I was like, I'm not going to be that patient. I'm going to be the patient patient. I thought that was cool. So I was lying there and I just decided I'm just going to be patient. I don't know, can't doctors just work quicker. But anyway, why do we have to be their patients? Why can't we be their expresses or something? Okay. Um, but there's this woman and for 12 years she's been struggling. She's gone to all of the doctors, spent all of her money. She heard about Jesus. And so she came up behind him through the crowd. And once again, I want us just to zoom in on the wording here. For There's so much here that we can speak about. I want us just to zoom into this one factor for this evening. And touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch 
his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel her, in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? And everyone is around him. It's like, what do you mean? Everyone's touching you. He's like, no, no, there's touch and there's touch. Someone's touched me different. Someone touched me in a way that something went out of my being into her being. We're getting a glimpse here, I think, of what we're beginning to step into when we speak about laying on of hands. See, central to this idea of laying on of hands is the reality. Some of us may have missed this. Some of us may have forgotten about this. But let me remind us, we are spirit beings living within a body. This body of mine is one day going to lie in a casket and fraught away. There might be some bones and a couple of screws left when everything else is gone. I that I'm lying in bed just after this and just one of those mornings I wasn't feeling really good and my daughter's lying next to me and she's like, Dad, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm dying, but I'm okay. She says, what do you mean you're dying? I said, well, I've got bad news for you. You're dying too. The day you were born, you started dying. But that's true, but that's not true. That's true, my body started dying. My spirit didn't. Because Christ has won that victory for us, that He has defeated the last enemy, which is death. I'm a spirit being. You're a spirit being. Yes, I happen to live in a body. But that body isn't me. That body is a part of me for my time here on this earth. But that body isn't me. I'm a spirit. We're beginning to see something in this laying on of hands. It might be a physical action, but it's a spiritual engagement. See, Jesus looks at this in different translations. This one says healing power. Some would say power. Some would say virtue. It's one of those words that's really hard to translate because there isn't an English word for what's happening here. There's something within Jesus that is flowing into someone else. And Jesus feels it in that moment. And how does it flow? It flows through touch. The woman didn't get so close. And she was like, if I can just get close enough, I'm going to be within his bubble of power and I'll be better. No, there's an understanding that there's a touch that needs to happen. Who touched my robe? Acts chapter 5. Once again, this wording, I'm, I'm here with the ESV because some of the... Um, the more kind of thought-for-thought translations just miss this small detail, but it's an important detail for us today. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Carries on to speak about what the signs, what they were, healings and signs and wonders. Um, in that same passage, it says, even in some places, um, shadows were healing people, but, but there was something that was happening by the hands. It's interesting, it's not at the hands. It's not kind of, you know, at, at the hands of Birgit, those things will go well. No, it's by the hands. It's something is, their hands are involved in this process. And it's not because they are doing something creative with their hands. Because they're understanding Christianity 101, the laying on of hands. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this young man who was a young man, he's a little bit older, he's leading a church. And Paul says to him, once again, look at these words. Don't neglect, I think Yaku mentioned this last week. Don't neglect the spiritual gift you received through prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Wait, that's quite a powerful statement. Second Timothy, will, I'm going to kind of tackle these two together. Let me read that as well. This is why I remind you, so he's writing a second letter. He starts that letter saying, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. 
We're not quite sure if these were two separate occasions or if he's talking about the same occasion where he was one of the elders. It's not really so important for us today, probably not so important in the greater scheme of things. But what is important is Paul saying something powerful here. He's saying, Timothy, there was a moment in your life where I put my hand on you and in that action I gave you something. There was something you didn't have before that moment and you had it after that moment. There was something that changed in your spirit in the action of me laying hands on you. He says here, I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. I gave you a gift. And the way in which I gave you that gift was through this action. There was some connection point in the spirit when I touched you. I could have just sat next to you and prayed for you, but I didn't. Maybe because I understood Christianity 101. There's a transfer that happens. There's an impartation is the word that happens. Impartation happens through many possible methods, but one of them clearly is through the laying on of hands. I touched you. It wasn't just a casual, I put my hand around your arm because I love you and I want to affirm you. No, I touched you a little bit like the woman touched Jesus. She touched with the receiving. Paul touched with the giving. Just as an aside, it's so important. I think as much as our giving, it, laying on of hands, we need to learn to receive. So often when I pray with people and I, I lay hands on them, I can sense the Holy Spirit beginning to move in their lives, beginning to do something. It's amazing how often it's like I, f- I can feel there's a, a wall going up. No. People feel something is stirring in their spirit, and boom, up comes a wall. And then part of kind of a, the gracious conversation, it's surrendered. God's wanting to stir something in your spirit. Just, just receive it. Sometimes I encourage people, just physically, just open your hands, raise them. Just take in a disposition. Hopefully it opens your heart to a place of reception. As much as we can give in the spirit, we need to receive in the spirit too. Paul writes at the start of the book of Romans, he says, I long to come and visit you because I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. I want to give you something. Just a few more verses, and then we're going to be praying for some people this evening. And guess what? We're going to be laying hands on them. Acts 8 verse 14 to 18 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria and accepted God's message. So what just happened here is that awesome guy called Philip at the start of Acts chapter 8, he's gone to Samaria. He's preached the gospel. The whole city has embraced this message. Scripture says there was great joy in the city. They're being baptized. They're following Jesus. It's just an amazing time in the city of Samaria. Everybody wants to be in Samaria. There's revival in Samaria. And the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, it's Peter and John, the apostles, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then watch this. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon their believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. They didn't just pray for them. They didn't just say, stand there, and we're going to pray that you receive the Holy Spirit. They had an understanding that they've received something. And there's a channel by which they give it, a laying on of hands. Some of you may think, oh, Philip, that's reading a little bit much into it. But watch what the people who saw that, look how they reacted. There's a guy called Simon. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, They receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter has a right go at him because he's misunderstanding the gospel completely. He thinks he can buy it. And Peter and John are like, we don't buy this thing. It's given freely. You can ask for it. And you can give it. Freely have received. Freely give. I'm pretty sure if he'd said, I want to see people encounter Christ. I want to see people be filled with the Spirit too. I'm pretty sure Peter and John would have been, come, we're going to help you. 
We're going to train you as an evangelist. We're going to send you to go and lay hands on people. He wanted to monetize the whole thing. And the moment we start monetizing the gospel, we're in deep trouble. But the point here is Simon saw something around a very specific moment. Simon realized that it's not when they walked past people, it's not when they spoke to people, it's not when they prayed, it's not when they splashed holy water on people, it's when they touched. Something happened in this moment of touch. We're spiritual beings. I believe God would have us engage in the Spirit. Yes, we have physical bodies, but here's something else that I, I know to be a fact. Our spiritual bodies, our physical bodies have a spiritual dimension. We have received these physical bodies, and these physical bodies contain with them, within them everything we need to engage with the Spirit in this earth. This physical body has a mouth through which I can pray in the Spirit. I can pray in the Spirit because God has given this physical body a mouth to eat with, to drink with, to speak with, but also to engage in the Spirit with. Same way with our hands. And so I want us perhaps to begin to think a little bit different about this laying on of hands. In our small groups when we're laying hands on people, perhaps someone starting a new job, entering into a new relationship, going on a missions team. What are we doing when we're laying hands on them? Oh, we just, let me just put my hand on you somewhere because it's just a nice idea. Oh, we're just putting our arm around them because we want to comfort them. Comfort them too. Oh, we're saying, there's a spiritual channel that I'm opening up here. God has given me something, maybe something minusculely small, but that something He has given me, I want to impart it to you to strengthen you as you say yes to the call of God. As you step into that which God has called you, there where God is taking you, I want to partner with you in this. I want to co-mission with you. I want to take hands with you. I want to Join in the Spirit with you. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 when he said to him, um, remember when we laid hands on you in 1 Timothy 5, he says, don't be quick to lay hands on others. Specifically there in the context of appointing to leadership. And there are a whole bunch of other places where he says, these are the things we should look at before we appoint people as leaders. But then when we do appoint them, we better lay hands on them. We better commission them. We better send them. We better get behind them in the Spirit. But in that same thing, he says, don't be hasty to lay hands on. And then the very next bit is, don't share in their sins. You see, there's a connection in the Spirit that's established when we lay hands on them. You can take that even deeper. One of the first pictures we see of laying hands on would be the priest in the Old Testament would take a goat. And he would lay his hands on the goat. And the picture there is that the sin of the nation would now be upon him. And he would impart the sin of the nation onto the goat. And then they would slaughter the goat as a sacrifice for the sin. It's part of the understanding. And it's interesting, can I just say, Paul's writing to Hebrews here. If anybody understood that action, these people would have. They would have understood the impartation that happens in the laying on of hands. We're laying hands on people. We're partnering with them in the Spirit. There's a bond that's being connected in the same way. Don't just let anybody lay hands on you. You want to make sure that when you're being laid hands on, you're receiving something that you want. You don't just want everyone going around, laying hands on you, opening the Spirit, and just receiving whatever people may be depositing. It's not necessarily how. Laying on of hands is a key component to engaging with the Spirit. And so as we lay hands on people, as we do it this evening, we do it for a couple of reasons. We do it as an acknowledgement and affirmation of their calling. We're saying we acknowledge that God has called you. You sense that God has called you. We sense that God has called you. We're affirming that. There's a commendation. 
What does that mean? That means we're telling everyone else we can commend these people. We're saying we back these people. We've looked at their character and we trust. They're not perfect like any Christian leader, but we trust them. But also there's a partnership in the spirit. It's not just a physical action that's taking place. We're actually trusting for a spiritual impartation to empower them to do what God's called them to do. And so last week we started praying for some people. Tonight we're going to pray for some people. This morning we prayed for some people. In the coming weeks we're going to continue praying for just different areas of church. It's something that we've neglected for a while. But it's something which should be central to what we do. We should lay hands on people. Especially when people say yes to the Mishio Day. You see, if people are saying yes to God, I'm here to make disciples, we should be getting behind them and saying, every little thing that I have, I want to give that to you to empower you to do it even better. So this evening, we're going to pray for our small group facilitators and zone coaches that are here. We prayed for a whole bunch this morning. There are a few here this evening. We want to lay hands on them. We want to do it with an understanding that it's not just a nice action, but this is a spiritual habit, not just a habit, a spiritual activity that we're engaging with. So be a good, come here quickly, please. So what we're not going to do is just, oh Lord, I want to just bless Birgit because she's putting her hand up. And I want to understand that this little thing that's happening here, which seems so simple in the natural, is profoundly spiritual. That in some crazy way, there's a spiritual channel that's established when I do this. So God, I don't quite know how this works. I love this about spiritual things. We don't always have to understand them. We learn them as we go away, go along. God, we see all over your scripture, you laid hands on people. So we're going to lay hands on these people, God. And as I do that, I'm trusting, God, that in some crazy way, something is going to flow from inside of here to inside of there through this. I want to impart something, God. I don't just want to say you're a great person and love you. That too. But so much more than that. So we're going to lay hands. Thanks, Birgit, you can say that now. We're going to lay hands on people. Put our hands gently on them. Wait a moment. Trust the Holy Spirit to stir something in our hearts and then release it upon them, over them. Speak it into their being. Trust God that, yes, it's our words, but it's also this laying on of hands. In this hand, I don't get why, but I see all over Scripture, God designed it that way. That this hand is a channel for spiritual gifting to flow. So I'm going to ask our small group facilitators and zone coaches that are here to come forward. Last week we prayed for the guys who are serving at the shelter in the inner city where we have a service every week as well. Heinrich, I don't think you were there, so we're going to lay hands on you as well. If you guys can come up so long, obviously, yes, Crystal, the ones that are here. And then I'm going to ask the rest of us to come around them and lay hands on them. We're going to take a moment and pray for them. We're going to commission them. We're going to empower them in the Spirit for what they're saying yes to what God's called them to do. They're great leaders already. They're doing fantastically already within the ministry area to which God's called them to do. But we're trusting that God's just going to take them to the next level. That the next time they do it, there's just going to be more authority, more power, more fruit, just more effectiveness in their leading than there is now because of something that's about to happen here. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me to write a scientific paper around it. I can't. But I see it all over Scripture. And so I want to embrace that. So I want to ask you if you have the freedom to do so. Don't you want to come and join us up front? Let's make little circles around these three people. If you're not sure who they are, that's Crystal. This is Heinrich. And that's Mar- <laughs> Margarita. <laughs> Sorry. That's Maranique. And we're going to pray for them, lay hands on them, trust God to establish something within them as we commit them to Christ for what He has called them to do. Okay.
not. Okay. So step one, we may have missed this of laying on of hands, is what Timon is already doing there, is laying on of hands. Okay, it's really hard to lay on hands without laying on hands. Okay. And then what I want us to do is, just as you're standing, we're going to just take a moment. I'm going to pray just very quickly. And then I'm going to hand over to you guys in your groups. Just take a moment. Just quieten your heart. Just say, God, if there's anything that I've got to give this person in the Spirit, I want to give it to them now. I want to deposit that. God, I want them to flourish as they say yes to you. So right now, Jesus, we thank you just for this opportunity, God. We thank you for what this represents, Lord, and not only the lives of the people we're praying for, but for us, Lord, as we're praying for them, that we're beginning to engage in the Spirit. We're stepping into the Spirit, Lord. We're wanting to see spiritual truths established within us and before us, Lord. So right now, God, we lay hands on these individuals, Lord. We give to them. We impart the little bit that you have given to us, Lord. And we come behind them in the Spirit. We partner with them, Lord. We lift them up, Lord. We say, God, cause them to prosper in whatever they put their hand to in Jesus' name. Just as you guys are standing, just take a moment and just pray over them and pray into them in Jesus' name tonight. Jesus, thank you that we can trust you, Lord, for the supernatural, Lord. We can trust you for the abnormal, Lord God. Lord, we can trust you that as they step out to make disciples, that they would see you going far beyond what they are ever able to do in their own, Lord God. And so, God, right now we thank you that we can commend them, commit them to you, Lord Jesus, that you strengthen and empower them, that you give them wisdom and insight and knowledge, Lord God. Lord, that you strengthen their hands for the work to which you have called them. And so, Lord God, we say, Holy Spirit, move upon them, empower them divinely for your work, Lord. Lord, even as if they have said yes to make your mission their mission, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just breathe life over everything they touch. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.